popular liberty. For the last two episodes, we've talked about uh, the Book of Judges, and we've talked about the Ancapistan that lived there, and why the people there were unable to maintain their freedom. And we've kind of used that as an example to say why simply getting rid of a government or even just limiting it, you know, it's not enough to produce yeah, real long lasting liberty. And what we can and we're going to be starting kind of our introduction to formalism tonight. Formalism being the idea that liberty pretty much needs to be engineered if it's going to happen at all. And that, you know, there is there's a central problem with, you know, the human condition, which is the left. And that yeah, there's there's no good answer to them, but we're going to try it anyway. And because we're kind of stuck with this. I mean, the, the, we're stuck with them. And they're, 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 it's just a part of the human genetics that we're never, ever going to get rid of. We can't weed them out. You know, eugenics is wrong. You know, we, we're not going there. So what do we do? And, you know, uh, you know we're going to have to engineer a new solution that pretty much that, you know, because democracy obviously isn't working right now. Democracy just moves all of the, uh, all of, uh, you know, all of the, all of the playing field onto the left. You know, it's it, like the entire, it's like we're playing against gravity, you know, it's like playing a, playing a ball game where, you know, we always, you know, where the right always has to run uphill. You know, this isn't going to work. And what we need to do is engineer a new, a, a new form of government, kind of like what the what the what, what our founders did at the constitu- at the first constitutional convention in 1791. Uh, they were, you know, this, uh, you know, what we've talked about. This is the discussion they were having, of you know, hey, there's this problem in human nature. What do we do about it? You know, how do we create and how do we engineer the great, you know, the greatest amount of liberty possible? You know, given the constraints of the left. So, you know, that, that, I mean, that discussion in 1791 was a, was a discussion between the, you know, like a group of monarchists who had that, the monarchist critique of human nature, which, you know, is pretty, you know, I bet they basically proved, they, they were basically proven right that, hey, if you, if you allow the, the, the left, if you allow, allow the rabble to vote, you know, they're going to screw this whole thing up. And I mean, that was that famous quote that was attributed to Ben Franklin that, you know, what kind of government we're we getting. He said, as a republic, if you can, you know, if you can keep it and we weren't able to keep it, this thing has descended into like full blown, you know, democratic socialism. And at this point it, it basically needs to be, you know, abolished and, and we need something new. And th- there's not going to be a good, and, you know, engineering this new solution, we have to ask ourselves the question is like, all right, if this, if liberty is an engineering problem, not a moral problem, then what are the laws of physics? Okay. If this is an engineering problem, what are the laws of physics or what in this case, what are the laws of, you know, laws of human nature or, you know, and how can we try to generalize them, you know, into a sense that, you know, or into something useful what do we know? You know, what have we learned? You know, what did you know the founding fathers not know back then that, or what did they, what did they know back then, and what didn't they know back then, and what can we learn from it? So tonight, I wanted to start by having a discussion about 
just those laws. I call them a, the laws of archotropism. There's probably another name for it. I didn't invent these, and that I kind of just observed them. But I'm probably not the first person to observe them. So if there's another name for them, you know, I'd appreciate it. That idea being left in the comments of you know who else has figured this out before me, so I can go read them and you know just you know, skip to the answers because I don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the questions. And I'd really like, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to think about this, but, uh, you know, and if anyone knows where I can find that, that'd be great. But for now, I'm just going to go straight into it tonight that, you know, the laws of archotropism, this is what we're going to, use, you know, these are effectively what we're going to be using to, you know, create a new, anar a, a, a new, you know, liberty. This is a new liberty. So what is what is archotropism? You know, the, you know, I would say there are two good definitions for that. One is, you know, it, it comes from a, two Greek root words, archos and tropos. Uh, the you know, but yeah, you know, archos meaning ruler. It's the word for ruler, and tropism meaning to turn towards. So archotropism basically means, you know, literally translated is to turn a society towards the state, or towards a ruler. And I, you know, I, I define this as the process by which the state grows through the extraction of order from chaos. You know, we, we, we talked uh, you know, twice now about how the left always creates chaos in order to extract order from it because that gives them power. You know, they, they want to you know, destroy the natural order and create an artificial one in their own image. You know, they're, they're not a purely destructive force. You know, they, they, they are in the sense that you know, they're parasitic and they always end up killing their hosts, but, you know, the, you know, the host being their society they're living in, but, you know, you know, but they do that through this process of, you know, chaos that breaks down the natural order of the right and, you know, and, an, and one that also artificially builds up their own, you know, more parasitic order in their own name and, you know, in their own image. And, you know, this is, you know, this is like the leftist mob you know, running through the streets of Minneapolis, you know, just destroying everything at, in its path. And the, you know, and the state, say, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, we're just going to let them go. We're going to let them go because this is a left wing controlled state. And by the way, the state, you know, and the leftist state says, if you try to defend yourself against the leftist mob that's creating all this chaos, we're going to come after you. That's a tyrannical order. That's a leftist chaos order. And the uh, and through this that you know they derive so much more power uh, you know and you would think to yourself well gee they're letting their own cities burn to the ground why would they be incentivized to do that we're actually going to be we're actually going to be proving why that actually makes a lot of logical sense to burn your own city to the ground so you can rule over the ashes why would a leftist want to do that yeah we're going to show we're going to show why tonight and there there's the also the, this other word uh you know archotropic yeah obviously of or related to the process of archotropism. And but we're going to mainly be using the the second and third definition, which is chaos promoting. And you know, this is why you know you can uh, you know the 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 adjective archotropic, this is the the, the central idea but you know behind why it is not enough to simply eliminate the government because there is there is a group of actions, you know, mainly degeneracy that you know, it's chaos promoting. And anytime you're promoting chaos, you are begging for a state to come and take your liberty away from you.
And, you know, it, and even if there is no state, one will be formed because this is, a, you know, chaos by nature is demanding of state action or pro proaction or reaction in order to squash it. You know, people don't like chaos. They like order. No matter, you know, and even, yeah. And if you allow it to persist, if you allow it to grow, you're going to get a state. And, you know, and the problem is not all actions that are aggressions that, you know, remember the, the libertarians, you know, we have this moral principle called the non-aggression principle that says, you know, it is wrong to initiate aggression against peaceful people. And the problem with the non-aggression principle is that, it, you know, it does not include archotropic actions as aggressions. And if it does, then it's a good, then it's a good principle, but most people don't, most libertarians uh, and conservatives too, who hold the, the non-aggression principle, they do not, uh, you know, they do not include archotropic, you know, acts of degeneracy in that, you know, in that definition of aggression. Yeah. And we're going to see a little bit tonight well, actually, I don't know if we'll get into that tonight, but you know, we, we kind of touched on that in the last two episodes of why that's a problem and you can't just, you know, let anything go there. You can't have an anything goes society, you know, anything goes property rights based society. That simply isn't enough. We're going to need a little bit more engineering. So the first law of archotropism that I wanted to, uh, talk about tonight is that the, you know, the value of power is relative, not absolute, you know, that, you know, therefore the value of power can neither be created nor destroyed. It may be transferred from one wielder to another, or it may be transformed in one form into another. And the sum total of value of power is always conserved. This is kind of a restate, you know, a lot of these laws of archotropism, they're kind of restatements of, you know, the, the laws of, of Isaac Newton's laws of thermodynamics. In some ways, they work mostly the same way, or in some ways, they actually work the opposite. But, you know, the, you know, this first law right here, this is, uh, you know, you know, the, you know, you've seen this behavior from the left before where, the you know they they will talk about inequality, and for them it's almost like an existential problem. And the rest of us right wingers are kind of looking at them like, what in the world are you talking about? There's more than enough to go around for all of us. Why does it matter if you know Bezos has you know so much more money than them? You know wh why does that matter? And this is actually why that matters because the left as a group is extremely sensitive to power dynamics. The right really is not. And that's kind of unfortunate because it makes it, you know, it makes it hard for us to understand them. And because we can't understand them very well, we can't react to them very effectively. But what they're talking about here is not the economic value. because I And that, that really is where the confusion lies between the right and the left. It's the left, you know, when they're talking about, you know, wealth, what they're really talking about is that, you know, it's value as power, not as value as, you know, economic value. They're not talking about as economic value. It's not as financial value. You know, the, it, you know what they're talking about is its ability to be, uh, you know, used or transformed in, into kinetic power. Uh, the, you know, there are two, basically, uh, there are basically two kinds of power that we really care about. That you know that is potential power and kinetic power. Kinetic power being obviously political power. That is the the power that you know Mao said comes out of the barrel of a gun. And po potential power is you know the stuff everybody else likes. You know it, it's wealth, it's power, it's knowledge. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, it's, you know, all the good things that, you know, kind of make our society good, our potential power and kinetic power, you know, is basically violence and aggression. And what the left is pointing out, this, and this is actually a, a decent critique of theirs, is that, hey, when you have a massive concentration of, you know, let's say wealth, you know, and, you know, if you really want to think about it, knowledge and influence are both, are both also forms of wealth. I would add manpower onto that list too, you know, because man, manpower can be converted into kinetic power in the form of like soldiers who go use guns to shoot people. That's kinetic power, you know, at, but the, or manpower can be, you know, just simply a form of wealth, you know, because it's a worker who produces, you know, more than he consumes and that enriches society. And the, uh, you know, and, and what the left is really pointing out is that if someone like, you know, Jeff Bezos, has a ton of money all to himself. He can, you know, he has a disproportionate uh, or ability to, you know, convert that power, it, you know, if he it, or convert that wealth if he so chose into kinetic power, which could be, which he's not going to use it in favor of them, and that, you know, that's their, that's their, that's their point is that. You know, the left fears wealth inequality because it's usually not theirs. They don't want other power that can be used against them. They believe in a flattening of the hierarchy, you know, and of the power hierarchy so that, you know, that so that they can win. That, you know, if if they try to, uh, you know, you know, basically, you know, Bezos right now, he's like one of the you know main figures standing in between them and like their socialist utopia. Because you know who's the first person who's going to push that yeah you know, to push back and use his money to lobby the government to make sure you're absolutely certain that that socialist utopia never happens and that's going to be Jeff Bezos and that's the thing they're fearing is that it, you know that it's not the you know, the the value of his wealth to the left it's not economic primarily it's power and this and uh, power to them is always basically zero sum this is where they get that idea that you know that wealth is basically zero sum all of their economic fallacies are actually based you know partly in truth you know that the, the left always has this you know it's a fixed pie we call it a fixed pie fallacy because it is not a fixed pie in economics uh, but in power in terms of the the relative power in terms you know what that which can be converted in, into kinetic uh, into kinetic ability against the left that is actually you know that actually is a fixed pie and you know there is a, i mean it really works that you know the same way that you know whatever one owns you know another necessarily cannot you know it's you know it's a uh, it really is zero zero sum and you can actually prove it Economically, remember we said that we were going to prove why is it that the left, you know, you know, is willing to burn its own their own cities to the ground just to rule over the ashes. This is actually why it's because the, the uh, you know, because power kind of you know, whereas wealth is kind of like, hey, if someone else is doing better, you know, good for them, that doesn't hurt me. In power, that is actually not true, because what you can show here is that hey. If Jeff Bezos had, you know, if all of, if power is always conserved, if the, I should say the value of power is always conserved, because you can create new power and we'll, that's actually, we'll get to that eventually. But if, if the value of power is always conserved, then, you know, what one has another cannot. And so if, you know, if let's say I want to, you know, 
uh, you know, what power I have is valuable only because you don't have it. And that's, a, a, that's the real value of it. So if it, so let's, let's uh, take the idea of like gun control. Why is this such a big deal to the left? See, so, you know, and the, the left, doesn't really care about private gun ownership. What it is is right-wing non-leftist gun ownership. See, they're fine with like the Hollywood actors and, you know, and and rich politicians and whatever. They're absolutely fine with those guys because they're on the left. They're fine with them having guns. What they don't want is their enemies to have guns. And you can, and this also goes for wealth. This goes for knowledge. This goes for influence. All forms of we- all forms of wealth, all forms of potential power are power, and they want their enemies to have none of it, and the- and they want the the left collectively to control all of it. It doesn't matter so much who on the left has it, so long as that it is someone on the left who has it. And you know, gun possession is one excellent example because you can think about it this way: you know, in a society where everyone has guns. You know, let's say, let's say you have a hundred people in your society and they all have guns. You know, uh, like you can show that, you know, that, you know, the, the value of every gun economically goes up. you know, your, 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 the wealth of your society goes up with every additional gun, you know, you have. So if you start, so going from one to a hundred guns, you know, in terms of wealth is an increase as a hundredfold increase in the amount of wealth that you have. However, the, uh, you know, the it works exactly the opposite way in terms of relative power because remember power is relative it my my power you know what power i have is more valuable if you don't have it yeah and so let's say like let's say i have my gun i'm one of those hundred people and all of a sudden like magic i press a button and 99 of the other guns all disappear how much more valuable is my one gun you know a hundred times more valuable you know, the value, that, that's the thing, the economic value actually went down, but in terms of just the power of, the, of my one gun, it actually went way up because I'm now, I'm the only one who has it, you know, well, you know, wealth and power, uh, you know, they actually move in opposite directions, you know, at, in terms of who has it and who, and who doesn't. And this is why the left is seeking to eliminate, you know, you know, they seek to eliminate wealth and, and gun ownership is that you know from their enemies is that they want their enemies not to have it because that makes whatever that they have more valuable and that's why they'll you know actually burn a city to the ground in order to just rule over the ashes you they are much more powerful you know power can go both directions either i can have more power or you can have less power it, you know it works differently uh, you know obviously in economics it works differently but the left doesn't care about economics we kind of <laughs> that's that, that i don't even need to prove that everybody knows that they don't care about economic value they care about power value that's the that and uh so this is actually where they're coming from and what they're talking about when they say that inequality is a problem it is a problem for them if they want to create their socialist utopia they're going to need to get rid of the power of the right and part of that, you know, goes through gun control. Part of that also goes through, you know, making sure there's not a lot of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, right wingers with a with a, a ton of money that can stop them, you know, by lobbying the government and converting their massive uh, fortunes into, you know, political power in order to stop the left from, you know, creating their, you know, socialist nightmare utopia. 
And the the second yeah, law of archotropism is actually pretty much just important. There, it's highly related to the first one, and that is that you know uh, p power seeks consolidation from lower concentration to higher concentration, and predation is the is defined you know for our usage as the act of consolidating power. Now, why is this imp important? See, this is uh, another thing. You know, you know, on the right here. We have this is what free trade used to look like, you know. <laughs> we basically traded guns and ammo at each other, and you know, this is cannon fire. And you know, the uh, yeah, th there's this uh, funny trope I hear Dave Smith, my you know, my personal favorite libertarian. He always makes th this point to say, you know, the uh, the uh, the states are the states of the world are basically in a state of anarchy towards each other, and that's why there's peace. And no, no, <laughs> that you know. Back, yeah, you know, that is certainly not true. You know, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about this. You know, they. You know, remember we were talking earlier uh, in our last two episodes of that. You know, weakness invites aggression, and for this reason, degeneracy, which are prey behaviors, you're you're signaling to predators that you are prey, and you are easy to be taken. You are weak enough to be taken advantage of. You know that that uh you know that invites aggression weakness is the invitation to aggression because i remember that power is relative so if i have more than you then i and then i can take and you have less than me then i can take your less and add it to mine that's predation they, and that you know that is exactly what the left is seeking to do is they you know inequality is, isn't <laughs> for them inequality is a problem when they're in the when they're on the low side they want to be on the high side that that's their this is their thing. They want to be up here and us for to be down here. But that you know, this this kind of inequality is not a problem. This kind of equality inequality is a problem. You know, and uh yeah, and equality for them is just moving slightly more until there is until it's them. You know, until they're in the lead. That's what they want. They they only want equality until you know, so they can take what's ours. You know, that's that's the only thing. For them, you know, that they want to have power. E equality of power means they have more. That's what that that's what that means. It's not really equality, and yeah, you know, for the, so that's why they will have these these chaos promoting behaviors in order to you know destroy the the order of the right in order to construct you know the, you know the order of the left. That's what the, you know, uh, and yeah. You know, so that so what so what do we know from this? Or what do we what do we get from this? That peace itself, or you know, call it liberty, really, you know, is achieved only through strength. Yeah, peace through strength actually is true. Now, there's a flip side to that, <laughs> and that because anyone who is you know uh, you know the best uh, the best libertarians are always anti-war, and best conservatives too, they're also anti-war, and you know, and they will usually make the point that you know having a gigantic military you know, begs to be used. Like, yeah, because this is predate. Yeah, this is what predation looks like. That, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, you'll have, you know, because I have more than you, I can take your less. And uh, that, that's, that's how that works. This is power consolidation. And, you know, what the, you know, but, he, he, but what, what's interesting about is this is actually what has kept us out of another world war for almost 80 years now. Is that the the left? Yeah, I mean, not the left. Uh, the United States is basically the the world hegemon. You know, this is hegemony. They uh, the the U.S. the United States federal government is the state of all states, not just the fifty states here in the United States, but also all states on the planet. 
you know, they, you know, the reason we've had a relatively high amount of peace and trade and prosperity for the last, uh, you know, for the last 80 years is because the, 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 uh, the, the United States federal government is basically the government of governments. This is not anarchy. This is statism. You know, that the U S is a hegemon and that's not, that's not what anarchy looks like. You know, the, uh, you know, you know, anarchy you know, among states where basically, you know, basic anarchy, think of it as a flat, as a flat uh, hierarchy where basically they're about the same. This is what actually you know, really invites, uh, you know, that when there's no, when there's no dominance, that's actually, you know, that is what uh, led us to two world wars. That was the, uh, you had various empires who were fighting for territory fighting for trade routes and fighting for wealth because that, you know, they were basically equal and they could fight each other and, they, you know, and one of them could probably win, you know, whereas, you know, the, uh, you know, after the Bretton Woods order came into effect, the United States basically put a gun to everybody's head and said, Hey, you're all on the same side now. Right. <laughs> and at that point that, you know, they're like, yeah, I guess we really are on the on all on the same side, and we really shouldn't shoot at each other because otherwise, you know, we're, the United States is going to invade us and kill us, and we don't want that. So, yeah, how about we how about we give peace a chance? And the and to the extent that we've had war, that's basically been the United. You know, you've you had a uh, other states that the United States didn't want to, you know, that the that, that didn't really want to be vassals. You know, all, all of the states that are at, that have been at peace have been vassal states of the United States, and to that, you know, and that's just that that's not that's not anarchy. That's hege that's hegemony. What we've had, you know, what we've had the peace we've had has been peace of hegemony, not peace of anarchy. And the, you know, that and this is a, a, a this leads me into another point, because you know this is why you know. Remember that uh, power uh, power seeks consolidation. This is what you know. You know productivity itself. Remember, we can create more power, but power is only relative in terms of its value to the to the whole. That's what, because power, the value of power, is always conserved. Even though you can create new power, you can create new power. Its value is always conserved. So what uh, you know. So when you produce new power, you produce you're producing new wealth. Or you're producing new wealth, you're producing new power that devalues all of the rest of power. So, but it has to, and so that this is why the, the left has such uh, they have such an incentive to you know punish pr productivity because this is not good for them. That remember the left is more predator than productive. That you know every you know most are a mix of both, but they prefer to be you know their preferred mode of subsistence is predation not production so when the right is sitting over here wanting to you know produce goods and services and trade value for value and create order because that's really what that's really what uh you know is being created is order you're reorganizing you know the means of production and and into uh into a much more uh subjectively valuable order and you're pro you know this is actually what uh economic growth is is a re it's just a reorganization of the means of production and that's what the right does and when the uh but in doing so 
you know, we are effectively devaluing all of the other power that the left has attempted to, to accumulate. This is uh, mostly what they mean by exploitation of labor is that, you know, when we, when we create a wealthy society, you know, we are taking, by nature, taking away from their ability to predate on that society. You know, that the creation of power devalues any, any power the left has thus far consolidated. And that's why they have such a, a the state uh, and the left particularly has such an interest in punishing uh, uh, and taxing taxing away the value of that uh, of that uh, new wealth because they want it for they want it consolidated for themselves. They don't want other people to have it. For them, you know, productivity is a bad thing because it mimics predation in the sense that it takes away value from the left. And you know, and reallocates it to the right. Rightly so, by the way. I mean, it, you know, production is all is a good thing to the right. It is a bad thing to the left because this takes power from them. And now you see why they have such an interest in, you know, in punishing it the way they do. That's why they hate, you know, capitalism. Is that you know, it's basically reverse is reverse predation. You know, it, from their point of view, this really is exploitation of labor because it takes away their power. I mean, that, you know, uh, yeah, uh, and this is actually some, just a, a side note of something I've noticed about human nature. When a bunch of people are saying they see something and it's like, like not just that, you know, they really are seeing it and you need to, you know, kind of, and if you're not, if you're not seeing it, you need to kind of just take a step out of your own shoes and try to figure out what they mean by it. Cause there's, if it's a lot of people, something's there and you may not understand it at first, but if, but if you could really can manage to put yourself into their shoes, this is what, you know, you will usually figure out what they're talking about. So, yeah. You know, and cause they have all of these things that, which the right for decades now has just debunked based on, uh, economics. And, but the, you know, but, and, and it should be obvious to us by now that the left does not think in terms of economics, they think in terms of power dynamics. And if, and if you look at what they say, just from the point of power dynamics, it actually starts to make a lot of sense why they think the things they, they do. And because they're power sensitive, not production sensitive, the, the right is production, but on the other hand is production sensitive, but not power sensitive. And that's why we like to live in a society of right wingers, not a society of left wingers. So, the uh, the third law is by far the most important of the, of the of the laws, and I'm going to do a separate episode on this. I'm going to bring Harry back for the you know for that episode, and you know, but uh, you know, for now, I'm just going to you know go through this quickly. But this this you know the third law by itself is is a whole video. Because this is the whole reason the United States became the superpower that it did, and it's also the reason that we had a thousand years of progress under the uh, the, old, the the the, the right wing monarchies of old. And the uh, yeah, I, th th I, this is the most important of all laws because this is this is the central point. Because remember, power can be either. Uh, you know, it can be either potential power in the form of, uh, you know, in some form of wealth. And remember, wealth can just be, it can be finance, but it can also be knowledge. It can be influence. It can be uh, manpower or just, or, or, you know, it doesn't have to be just purely financial or economic wealth uh, or power, economic wealth. And 
you know, but if the economic value of power is subject to time preference, is, is, pre, is, subje, is subjective, then by nature, it is subject to time preference. And that is what makes it so incredibly important because then it because then it can act it can have the same behavior as of uh, as interest rates, and think about you know remember that uh, 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 that that child uh, uh, test that hey you can have like uh, one marshmallow right now or you can have uh, three marshmallows in uh, two hours and you know and that test usually you know shows whether you're you know going to be it has a, a, some suggest some uh it, it has a, a lot of bearing on whether you're going to be you know very successful in life or not and because it's that ability to defer gratification in order to reap a greater gratification later and you know this is something the left cannot do the left for our purposes are is pretty much always marked by low by a high time preference meaning that they can't wait you know they can't defer grat they cannot defer gratification into the future they always want to take wealth and convert it into kinetic power immediately you know they don't want to wait you know they they really don't have that ability to wait and they don't have patience and the right on the other hand does because and and why this is so important is when you lock the uh, let's say you have some restrictions on government that you have or you have a government that has an institutional time preference with an artificially high price floor so th think of like like a you know like let, let's imagine for a second let's let's go into an alternative universe where the federal reserve instead of having you know, artificially low interest rates we had artificially high interest rates what would happen well what would happen you know very quickly is that you would have a uh, you know just a, a a massive surge of savings because there's an artificially high, you know, there is above market value, you know, uh, amount of savings. And well, if it let's, let's turn that savings, let's, let's say, remember that wealth is power. So you would say also that, Hey, you know, the, the interest rate of power, you know, it has gone up and this is what's created the greatest superpower in the history of the planet. The United States, because that was basically what the Constitution did. The reason we have, you know, that the United States became such a Goliath state that it did, despite you know the regulate regulations or the the restrictions of the Constitution, was actually a direct result of the re regulations and restrictions of the Constitution. The fact the because they actually acted as a uh, uh, you know as almost like a price floor on the interest rate of power. Setting it into uh, you know production mode for you know over a hundred years, and you you had it briefly lifted, you know by Lincoln in the civil in the Civil War, but you know that you know that but that process was cut short by you know John Wilkes Booth shot him in the head, and therefore that you know that uh, you know the you know, the the price floor came back into effect, and we kind of got we, we in a perverse way we kind of got lucky, uh, you know. It's, uh, Never, you know, you don't want Lincoln to die, but at the same time, you know, it worked, it, it kind of worked out, you know, inadvertently in America's favor because we got another 80-ish years of, you know, of just, you know, ultimate prosperity that we probably would not have gotten otherwise. And the, uh, you know, it wasn't until, uh, you know, uh, you know, Woodrow Wilson and FDR in the progressive era that, you know, that, you know, the, uh, you know those restrictions started to come down and and they were gone by the end of world war ii and that's kind of, that's the system we are in right now 
is that uh, you know all of the, we, we for over a hundred years we were just producing power and power and power and power in terms of greater wealth. You know all this wealth that we had produced, you know, it was what gave us the you know the, the superpower status that we have now. And because the you know for a long time the government just wasn't able to consume all of it because they had the the restrictions of the constitution effectively in place. That was what that was what did it. Not only did the the, the uh, the constitution that you know not restrain the, the growth of government it guaranteed that it would grow to the size it did because you know it, it basically deferred all, you know a hundred years of gratification of power of, of converting potential power into kinetic into kinetic power it you know, deferred all of that for over a hundred years yeah that and that's that's actually going to be one of the problems that we have to to figure out with uh yeah, yeah, with the uh, with when formalism is, you know, because this is something that this is something that the the founding fathers never would have conceived of, because you know that hey, it, you know it's it's so, and it's so converse and counterintuitive that by really effectively limiting the power of government, you guarantee that it's going to become a, a you know leviathan you know gargantuan goliath of a government, yeah, and. and the uh, this is something we're going to have to figure out because there's not really a a good way around this, and the uh, uh, and you know another point is hey uh, time preference can be both individual and institutional. Now you can and uh, this is important because different styles of governments have different institutional incentives in terms of time preference. Like democracy is. You know, democracy and republics are consume whatever power you have as quickly as you possibly can, whereas something more like a monarchy or anarchy, or or, or corporate, you know, can be you know th these styles of government you know actually incentivize you to you know to defer gratification actually you know they that you know they're a lot more like you know so, and the demo that's why democracy really is a bad choice if you want to have a uh, a long-term production of wealth and power and influence in society. If you want to have a, ri a rich society, you need to keep it as undemocratic as possible because the more democratic it is, the more, you know, that institutional time preference is going to be, you know, tilted down. You know, it, the more, the more, imagine that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, the time preference of democracy is just going to be, hey, consume, don't, you know, consume far more than you produce, at, you know, and whatever you've produced in the past, consume that too. So the, uh, it's not, you know, time preference is not just you know, an individual preference. It's not even, you know, based on uh, what you have right now. It is, you know, it is also institutional. The fourth law is this is probably one of the main reasons why you know some areas have lots of government and others have barely any at all we're speaking of <coughs> if, you know this is one where that it's basically exactly the same as like thermodynamics you know this uh, this definition here is exactly the same. i mean this is the definition of power from thermodynamics and it's exactly the same in archotropism and uh, just a minor point. The reason why I, instead of calling it archodynamics, I called it archotropism. The reason for that is because it basically only goes one direction. You know, at thermo in thermodynamics, you know, power can go any which way. You know, 
and you know it can go tr from from more to less or less to more you know just as easily the difference at, you know with like archotropism it basically only goes one way and only you know it only gets worse it doesn't really get better that's why it, you know any society is always turning towards more statism rather than less and that you know that that's why it's it's archotropism instead of archodynamics it could have been archodynamics but you know again if anybody knows what you know i'm what i'm talking about if someone else has figured this all out before me please leave that in the comments so i can go read that because i'm sure i'm not the first person to figure all of this out or even try to or not even figure it out just try to uh formally define it the uh, you know th this idea that it is you know for you know is for is force divided by distance power is force divided by distance this is basically the reason why we have a government because it ba it basically means that you know all power is effectively uh, uh yeah all, all power is necessarily institutional power and or i should say in, you know political power is basically all institutional power because you really, you know, an institution is a tool. Remember that quote I had at the, at the beginning that man is a tool user. With tools, we are everything. And without tools, we are nothing. That's a, a Carlisle quote. Uh, the, uh, you know, that, you know, the, you re the reason is that, you know, like if I have a hammer, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not creating more power when I use a hammer. What I'm doing is concentrating it, uh, you know, the same amount of power of like using my hand over a much smaller distance, which is like the hammerhead. And that, and uh, and all I and when you have a, an institution like a state, all you're doing is concentrating that power in a smaller area, and that's and that's what a state is. It is a concentrate. It's not just a monopoly on violence. It is a concentration of kinetic power in a certain geographical location, and and for this reason that you know it's you know force over power is force over distance. Humans are basically incentivized in order to you know, instead of dispersing that power as if you really want to have power, you have to have it collected in one location. And, th and this is why we form cities. This is also why we form states because a city is a, is a, uh, collection of wealth or collection of power, a potential power in terms of wealth. This is also why they have the, you know, cities have much more, you know, coercive and powerful states in them is that, you know, there's a lot of wealth in one location that can, can be converted into political power. It's simply a function of, you know, you have a lot of wealth and, and humans in one location. That's where it's going to be. It's, you know, you can't have that same concentration of power out in the middle of a, of a rural area because there's just, there's not that much people. There's not that much wealth. That's the reason why it's a, it's a function of, it's, it's a function of geography. Yeah. And the ability of a state to exert kinetic force, obviously it has to increase with, you know, proximity to its power center. So if you have like the, you know, like Washington, DC, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you know, where, where is the, the most uh, concentration of wealth and power? I think it's like, I think it's like 12 out of the top 20, you know, you know, or, or you know, counties in the United States, wealthiest, most influential counties in the United States they're circled around DC. This is why, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, this is a, a exactly what you would expect to happen. The, the seat of the federal government is basically where all the power is going to be. And the same thing happens kind of in a city, which is more, a more local concentration, concentration of power. You know, the city center 
is basically the it's always is usually one of the safest parts of the city because that's where all the you know the the uh, the cops are going to be. You know, the state is going to be, you know, it, you know, wherever the state is, wherever the center of business is, you know, that's where that's where all the the cops are going to be naturally. So that's going to be a, a fairly safe area of the city. You know, like uh, like Times Square in in uh, New York City, pretty safe. You know, there's tons of cops there. It's not you know when you get you know you know out further out in the the uh, city, you know, there's you know you get to like uh, some other areas. I won't mention them, but some of them are very not very not nice neighborhoods, and they tend not to have that many cops. That's why they're not nice. You know, that's it. This is a uh, you know you know the the you know the uh, the state's ability to you know exert force you know and and for and coerce a peace on society is you know it gets it gets much smaller and smaller the the further you get from the the city center and eventually you get into like a rural area where the state doesn't have any real power to exert force at all <coughs> it has no ability to to you know that's why it's you know kind of a nice place to live if you're you're in the suburbs it's kind of a nice balance you know you get the you know a decent amount of protection from having a state fairly close by but at the same time you also don't have you know have it you know it's far enough away that you also have a decent amount of freedom you know it's it's a uh, it's a really nice balance to be to be living in the suburbs that's why people like it that's why people pay more for it the fifth and final law of archotropism is you know this is all this you know if the third is the most important this one's probably the second most important and so in a closed system all power is subject to entropy or chaos and it always tends towards decay Th this again is i think this is the third second or third law of thermodynamics and it, it's basically the same thing it works the same way that hey the uh this is a, basically this is why we see the fourth turning cycle you know that the four turning cycle of, of of society where the uh you know you, you go from uh generation to generation where uh you, you know uh, as as they you know they uh, you have this uh, you know, like a hard times create that strong men uh strong men create good times good times create weak men and weak men create you know, hard times and that create the strong man and the cycle repeats. This is the four turning cycle. And this is basically because of entropy. This is because of, of the fifth law that, you know, the, uh, you know, a, a society, any system of power, be it wealth, banking, uh, you know, even government, you know, it, they accumulate energy, uh, they accumulate chaos. And because the left is always there, the left is always creating chaos and it adds up. Because you can't get rid of all of it, you know it's too expensive, and the uh, you know this is the reason why you get this uh, this turning cycle, which we're basically we're at the fourth at, we're at the uh, the 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 fourth uh, stage of cycle right now, where you've had you know basically weak men create hard times for my generation, the millennials. You know this is you know this is you know we were guaranteed this was always going to be the case sucks for us you know it's this uh, luck of the draw oh well and you know we're you know but you know what you'll see from me and my generation is that we're going to make sure that our our children don't have you know the the hard life that we did 
you know, that's a, you know, cause you know, the, the hard times are going to create a, 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 you know, a society of, you know, much stronger individuals who will, you know, be sure to it that, you know, we, that we create good times for our kids. You know, we're not going to be handing them trillions of dollars in debt. You know, if I had my way, I'd default on every penny of it because, you know, you owe your children, uh, you owe them surpluses. You don't owe them debt. Yeah. I, I mean, it, what, what was done to my generation in terms of uh, handing us debt, you know, th- almost what, what are we up to like 28 trillion now in debt as of, you know, April, 2021, when we're doing this video, like, uh, it, uh handing $28 trillion in debt to your children, that is depraved. That's an abomination and shame on the shame on the prior prior generations for doing that to us. Fuck you. You know, that, you know, so uh, there were a lot of, you know, good, uh, you know, uh, members of the prior generations who tried, you know, yeah, you tried, but you didn't succeed. You know, it's like, Hey, the bottom line is you are going to end up handing, you know, you know, maybe it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. It was your responsibility. You failed to keep that responsibility. It's not, you know, admit, you know, maybe you did what you could, but it wasn't enough. And now my generation is going to have to deal with all this 28 trillion of debt and it's going to come crashing down on our heads. But this, you know, you know, the, this four turning cycle, this is also why we see history going back and forth between democracy and monarchy because event, you know, you know, th- there's an, a, a kind of an equivalent uh, saying it's a little bit longer of, you know, why we go from monarchy to democracy and back to monarchy again is that, you know, good Kings get replaced by their sons Bad kings get replaced by better kings, you know, because they get invaded and killed and their territory is taken from them. And really, really bad kings get get overthrown by Democrats. Democrats don't get overthrown because they were never in charge of the first place. Democracy really is just oligarchy. <laughs> and the eventually the oligarchs get overthrown, you know, and you know, because they become that you know, their system of government just cr- you know creates too much corruption and graft, and eventually it's just not sustainable anymore. And you'll get a, you know, a decent monarch who will manage to consolidate all the power away from the oligarchs. And, and then he, and then, you know, he will probably get replaced by a better King who will get replaced by his son. And that, yeah, you will basically, you basically, you're going back and forth between, you know, a monarchy and oligarchy, which is, you know, you, you, no one wants to admit that, you know, it's democracy, but you no one really wants to admit that we have that we are an oli- we are an oligar- oligarchy, not a democracy. We do not live in a democracy. We do not live in a republic. We live in an oligarchy, and yeah, the Democrats are never in charge. You know, or I should say, you know, and that's lower D Democrats, not uppercase D Democrats. You know, it's always all it's it, democracy is oligarchy. It uh, degenerates immediately into oligarchy because the people don't really have any power to to exert only the oligarchs do but eventually those oligarchs do get overthrown and we go back to monarchy or dictatorship uh, you know in is as it usually is called and let me see yeah this is a you know a more you know th- this is a, a, just a a diagram from thermodynamics of hey you have the, you know this is basically what we just saw where you have organization, chaos, entropy, order, organization, you know, that, that, that you know, it go, you know, th- this is a cycle. It go, it goes, but it goes back and forth. 
this is what we saw here, you know, it, where all you're saying is, hey, the these bottom two, or I should say really the, these top two are a lot more are like chaos. You know, this is, you know, chaos is what breeds order, which and that order breeds, you know, chaos and it goes back and forth. You know, this, you know, this, uh, th this, uh, you know, oscillation between order and chaos is what we're seeing in the four turning cycle. It's also what we're seeing in the democracy uh, monarchy cycle. This is, and from here, this is where we get into the great game. You know, that because now we've talked about the, you know, the, you know, the laws of nature that we're going to be using to uh, construct our game. Because, you know, a, and, you know, the constitution really is just a game. You know, it's, you know, the rules of the game are that the rules change. That's one of the rules. <laughs> That's one of the uh, rules we're going to have to deal with is that, you know, in a, the, you know, you can create a game and it will work that way for a little while. And then the rules will change and you can't control that. And you need to figure out some way of controlling, you know, the changing of the rules. You know, this, this game evolves, the strategies evolve, you know, the players evolve, you know, nothing stays the same and you're going to have to figure that out. You know, you, and, you know, and, you know, you have this four turning cycle in the, in the middle of it, that this is going to be happening where whatever institution you create, it needs some ability to facilitate this transition so that what you really want is to have a lot more good times <laughs> than you do bad times. Like you want to have as few of the bad times and get through them as quickly as possible at, so you can get back to the good times. You know, you, you want to maximize this and minimize this. And, you know, the, and you need rules for that. You know, that, you know, what we saw in the book of Judges, you know, in that Ancapistan was that the four, four turning cycle actually got accelerated into about a, a you know, a, just a two or three turning cycle. You know, it, it rarely, you know, went four full turnings. You know, it usually it degenerated into, uh, you know, into, into state tyranny in, in just two or three turns. And again, that that's the you know that's given that because now you're you know you're not just giving freedom to the right, you're giving freedom to the left, and freedom is a freedom is a form of wealth. You know, freedom is a form of power, and and really, there you know, uh, power and liberty are you know two sides of the same coin. And if you're giving any sort of power and liberty to the left, you know, if you're in you, know, you don't even need to enfran enfranchise them. Democracy you know, is a, you know, basically the equal enfranchising of the left to the right, you know, that's giving them power too. But even if you don't do that, even if you say, hey, no one's allowed to, to vote because we live in a property rights-based society, you know, you're still giving, you know, that same love that, you know, a right winger and a left winger have exactly the same amount of power. You know, they have the exactly the same amount of liber liberty and that's still not good enough because they're going to use that to destroy your liberty. They're going to they're going to create the Abimelechs who try to usurp uh, anarchy. And you know maybe you get lucky and someone drops a stone on their head, You're, or maybe you don't get lucky and you get the King Saul who you know still manages to screw up the uh, screw up everything. And you know two turnings later you get a you get a secession movement. You're no longer a country anymore. And, you know, if you're not, and, you know, if you're lucky, that secession just ends peacefully. But if you're not lucky, that secession ends in war. And that's like the worst, po that's the worst possible outcome. Uh, that, because the uh, war is basically the antithesis of, of liberty.
And the uh, you're going to need some sort of system that can account for that, that can you know that can facilitate uh, that four turning transition and make sure that the game can continue to go on and it isn't uh, abolished and replaced, you know, by you know equality or <laughs> you don't. Ha you know, it needs some ability to deal with that. This is part of the game. The basic idea of formalism is just that the main problem of human affairs is violence. And the goal is to design a way for humans to interact or on a, pla on a planet of remarkably limited size without violence, especially organized violence. And the state is the, you know, the monopoly on organized violence. You know, what do we do? You know, we're going to need to, it, liberty is a problem. And it's an engineering problem, not a moral problem. We're going to have to engineer. We're going to have to science the way our, our way out of this. You know, like that, uh, like a, like on the Martian. You're in a problem. You're on a deserted planet. You're going to have to science the shit out of this. And that's all for tonight. You know, we're going to be starting the the great game of meta rules and meta strategies. And our uh, yeah, probably two episodes from now, we're probably going to come back and circle back to uh, the third law and uh, of. Uh, you know, of arco of archotropism about time preference. Probably gonna circle back to that in the next episode and talk with Harry. And you know, that's all for tonight. Peace.